Hey, this morning we are continuing our series titled Love and Other Messy Things. As from the bumper video, you can see it's a series about tracing and mimicking, copying, seeing an example and then learning to follow it. And so how did God live his life upon earth? How did Jesus live? He lived in love. He lived for the betterment of others. He lived in a sacrificial way so that others' lives might be improved. In the first four weeks of the series, if you've been around, we've been talking about how this love that we are called then to live is not something that we can just try really hard to accomplish and conjure up the abilities to do within ourselves. It is something that God does in us. It is generated by God's Spirit in us. And that is, I think, why then one of the most effective prayers that you can pray is, God, less of me, more of Jesus. As simple as it may be, that it's such an effective prayer. Less of me, God, more of Jesus. And I think that if you could learn to pray that continually and pray that first in all of your various circumstances and interactions, you would find that you could do things that you were not even capable of before. That God would generate a power in you and you would begin to live differently. So we're going to move on now. I've set you an example, Jesus says. I've set you an example. There was a time when Jesus was in the countryside. He decided that he was going to move now down into Jerusalem. He was going to leave the region of Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem. He was going to go south into the city of Jerusalem, where he then, he knew very well that he was going to be put to death at the hands of the Romans. He knew that this was coming to the end of his life, but the disciples didn't fully understand that. Here's what he said in regards to going into Jerusalem. He said, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. But three days later, he will rise. I mean, Jesus, what an inspiring speech. Thank you. I am so excited to go down into Jerusalem where this is going to be the end. Now, it's funny that the disciples didn't even process what Jesus was talking about here. Maybe they didn't hear him. Maybe they didn't fully understand what he was talking about. Maybe they thought he was talking about somebody else. Maybe they had a different impression of why they were going to Jerusalem and who Jesus was. Because here's the thing, the disciples did not even comment about what Jesus says. They didn't throw a fuss. They didn't say, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? We're not going to Jerusalem to die a horrible death, to be mocked and spit on and flogged and killed. No, we are going to Jerusalem so that you can overthrow the Romans and that eventually you would then sit upon a throne. They didn't even process this. It doesn't even make sense, right? Because the next sentence, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, begin to argue about which of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Which of of us is going to sit on your right and which of us is going to sit on your left? Here's what they say. Let one of us, Jesus, sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory, right? They wanted the best seats in the kingdom. They wanted to be the authority. They wanted to be the rulers. They wanted to be the ones in charge of Jesus' kingdom, and so when, of course, the other 10, because there are 12 of them who are, who are with him, probably a lot more actually, but there are 12 who are closest to him, and the other 10 hear about this, they just become indignant. They become so angry and so upset. I mean, come on, man. What, what, what makes you guys so special that you should sit on the throne? I, no, no, guys, I'm the one who should be sitting on the throne next to Jesus. What makes you so special and so privileged that, you know, you should have the right of honor and that you should have the right of authority? No, I, guys, I'm the one who should be there. You can't rule. You're not a king. Nobody would ever listen to you. And you know how these things escalate, right? I mean, consider a couple of kids on the playground. You know, one kid comes and, and says something offensive to another kid. Another kid says, oh, yeah, he says something offensive about his mom. And then, of course, a fist is thrown and they're brawling on the in the playground eventually. I mean, this is essentially a drunken brawl. They may not be drunk, but it's essentially the same essence as this. They're rolling around fighting in the gutter. 
hey, man, you, you, you have no authority over me. I have authority over you. You, you, you have no right to control me. I'm going to be controlling you. I mean, they're, they're just going at it. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus called them together and said, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. I mean, come on, we, we have an idea of what authority is. Or we have examples of what authority is within our day. You have examples given to you by those in power. They, they use their power to get other people to serve them. They use their power to, to have other people do what they could very well do for themselves. And this isn't just about government officials. Or this is our bosses. This is our spouses. This is our parents. Yes, right? That is how the authorities live, right? They, they use their power over people. And here's the thing. When, when power comes from the top down, it is a power of suppression. It's a power of oppression oftentimes. And so please understand this. When you use your power, whether your power is in pride or selfishness or stubbornness or in strength, the people that you use your power over pushing down on them will always walk away bruised. They will always walk away broken. They will always walk away hurting. And maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe you have been under people's power and you have walked away bruised from those relationships. You've walked away bruised from that job. If you ever use your power in pride or in selfishness, you will always oppress and bruise the people that you're using against. And Jesus says, not so with you. That's not how you're supposed to live your life. That's not how you're supposed to interact with people. I think these are actually uh, four of the most powerful words in Scripture. And I think that if I can help you understand the importance of these four words in your life and in your relationships, I think I can guarantee you that your life will begin to change. I think I can guarantee you that your life will look different. And not just your life, but your children's life and your spouse's life and the life of those within your household. I think that if you could grasp these four words and apply them to your life, that I am not the one in power. And even if I am the one in power, that I'm supposed to let that power be a power from underneath, lifting people up rather than a power, suppressing people. You're, everything you know about relationships, everything you know about your household will begin to change. Not so with you. And so my encouragement to you, take a post-it note, take a sheet of paper, write these four words on it and put them somewhere where you're going to see them and remember them and know them. Mark ten forty three. not so with you. Commit this to memory. It's so easy, but it's so hard. It is so demanding to live out. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to break away from this mentality that we should be served rather than serve? Isn't it so easy to break away from that mentality? so easy to fall back into the trap that it's all about me and that you should do something for me and I don't have to do anything for you, but you should serve me. But my friends, if you cast your pride aside, if you can cast your stubbornness aside, your selfishness aside, and you can learn to embrace this very simple principle that we are not to be masters, but we are to be servants, everything you know about your relationships will begin to change. Instead, Jesus continues, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, this is a, such a beautiful model of leadership. The person at the top willingly chose to occupy the bottom. And so what does Jesus say? Life is a race to the back. Life isn't a race to the front. That's, a, that's how we get it twisted around, right? We think that the best is to be in the front, the best is to be on top, and Jesus says, no, no, no. Your life should be a race to the back of the line. 
your life should be a race to the bottom. And instead of crushing others with your power from above, we ought to be lifting others up from a power from underneath. And Jesus would say, this is how you live your best life. You want the fullest, most abundant life possible? You want the best life possible? Learn to be a servant of all. It seems odd. It seems strange. It seems backwards. It's certainly upside down from what we've been taught and what we know about our culture, but this is how you live your best life. And this is why then I encourage my children every day as I drop them off for school to serve somebody. Keep your eyes open to someone who is in need and go to their aid. Serve them, whether it be a teacher or another student or a friend. Who can you serve today? And then at dinner time, what we ask our children almost every single day, who did you serve today? We have that conversation constantly within our household. This is why when I see a a dirty kitchen after a meal, I don't say, hey, Emily, get to work. (laughs) But I take the dishes and I start cleaning. This is why when I see a basket of unfolded laundry, I don't say, hey, Emily, it's your job. But I come and I fold the laundry. This is why the summer when I saw a woman who had a broken down cart on the beach, I continued to drag my cart and I picked up her cart with the other hand and I carried it to her house, which is way out of the way, inconvenient, but she needed help. This is why I keep my eyes open to who I might serve when I can serve. This is why we hold doors. This is why we let other goes first, others go first, because our life is a race to the back, not to the front. It's a race to the bottom, not to the top. See, my friends, not so with you. Not so with you applies to the way that you ought to live your life. The rulers and the authorities, they rule it over their people. They tell people to serve them and to bend down to them. And Jesus comes along and says, not so with you. Be the servant. Be the servant. And you would think, great, okay, the disciples learned their lesson, right? They, they had this idea that they wanted to sit at Jesus' right and Jesus' left. They wanted to be the people in control and the people in power. Jesus came along, set them straight. Great, they're going to learn their lesson. So they continue on with their journey, and they go down to Jerusalem, where they're going to be celebrating the Passover together. Now, usually, when you enter a home in Jerusalem, you would be met by a servant with a basin of water, ready and willing to wash a guest's feet. And the reason that foot washing was so common in their day was because, you know, all you had on your, on your feet was a, you know, a leather, a leather uh, flat on the bottom of your foot, you know, that was tied together by, by leather, leather straps. And so the dust of the road, the dirt of the road, your feet were just constantly dirty. So every time you entered a home, there'd be a servant there ready to wash your feet so that you could be comfortable and not ruin the very expensive plush carpet that they had in the first century. That was a joke for those of you who didn't get that. Um, so that you would have clean feet within the house. And during the Passover week especially, the roads were in just horrible, disgusting conditions. See, imagine that it's rainy season in Jerusalem. And so that, that one inch thick of, uh, you know, thick pile of, of dirt that you've been walking through is now a one inch just sloppy, wet mess of mud. And your feet are just trudging through this and your feet are getting gross. But beyond that, it's the week of the Passover, right? So in addition to the roughly million or so people that lived in, in Jerusalem and its surrounding uh, countryside, uh, there's an additional 1.5 million Jews that have come into the city to celebrate the Passover on festival, on pilgrimage. So you have 2.5 million Jews, along with all the Romans, along with all the Gentiles who already live there. They are crowding the city streets. And not only that, all of these Jews who come with them to the Passover have brought their lamb to sacrifice as a family. They have their lamb, they have their goat, they have their livestock. And so they bring all of this into the city of Jerusalem. And of course, there's no pasture within the city of Jerusalem. So these animals have to do their business somewhere. And so they do it in the city streets. Beyond that, it was said in the Levitical law that for every 10 people, one lamb ought to be sacrificed. And so 2.5 million people means 250,000 lambs were sacrificed in the course of this day 
in order to celebrate the Passover. It was said that there was a stream of blood, a river of blood running through the streets of Jerusalem from the temple all the way down into the Valley of Hinnom. So, you have your open-toed shoes, you're walking around with your lovely sandals through the mud and through the feces and through the urine and through the filth and through the blood. And you arrive at this house. This is the week of the year where servants dreaded the most. Nobody wanted to draw the foot washing card this week. Nobody wanted the job of having to wash people's feet during the Passover. Now, we don't have this problem, right? Because our feet are, are typically closed. We have, we have roads that are paved. We have sidewalks. We don't have to walk through the filth. But let me tell you the couple problems that we do have within our, within our, uh, in, our, in our households, typically. You may be familiar with a couple of these stories because I've told them uh, before, at least some of them before. I'll tell you a couple more next week as well. But um, for those of you who have an infant, you know that when the infants are younger, you've, you've ever interacted with the infant, they, um, they oftentimes get congested, whether it's by teething or they have a cold. We've had four infants come through our house, and... Um, and obviously, they can't blow their own nose, right? Because uh, they're infants, right? And so Emily has actually gotten really good. She has longer fingernails of getting, of getting the, you know what I'm trying to say, of getting the boogers out of the nose. She's, got, she's become really, really good at that, actually. Um, but sometimes, they're just, they're just slimy, and so a, booger, uh, a finger's not going to be able to get that. And so a friend, a friend of ours gave us this thing called a nose frita. Maybe you guys know what that is. Um, it's essentially a straw that you put up against the nostril, and you have to suck the boogers out with, through the straw. Um, a bulb would work just as well, right? But come on, it's just not nearly as fun. Um, and so every, when, when, when our friends got, gave us this, and Evelyn, our, our youngest, um, was really congested, and uh, we're like, all right, who's going who's gonna to suck the boogers out of her nose through the straw? And of course, our response is, not I, right? Who's the first one who can say, not I? We're not going to do this. Um, but we cooperate. We, we do teamwork. She holds the head because the thrashing child, of course, is not going not gonna to want you to put a straw up her nose. Um, and then I would suck the boogers through this straw. Um, that's pretty mild, though, don't you think? That's not horrible. That's not horrible. Uh, so a, f- a, few, a few years ago, my other daughter, um, Sophia, was, and you, you guys may have heard this story before, but she was, we were up in Minnesota for my brother's wedding, and she wasn't feeling well, and she got really sick, and so we put her down for a nap before the wedding, and, and uh, we go in a couple hours later. She's just sleeping through the whole thing. She, we, we go back a couple hours later, and, and there is a stench that hit us like none other, right? And she is lying in a f- pool of her own diarrhea. Um, literally, I mean, like, I've never seen so much diarrhea in my whole life, right? Um, she is lying there as, like, a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old, and she's been rolling around in it and sloshing in it, and it's just, she is covered from head to toe in diarrhea. And, of course, I'm going to look at each other, and what do we say? Not, Not it, right? <laughs> because, come on, who wants to pick up this child that's covered in her own filth? She's dripping, like, you just, you even come close to her. You're going to smell, you're going to stink, you're going to drip, it's going to get cut, it's going to get all over you. Fun times, yeah. I mean, I just I, I have I have nightmares of that experience. Uh, but of course, um, you know, one of us takes the child, the other person still has to clean up the mess, and so there's cooperation involved as well. And these are pretty extreme, I think. Perhaps I'll tell you a few more next week. But there is a um, there's less messy tasks I think that we have to deal with constantly. I'm going to show you a, a clip of a, of a show called Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, for those of you who've seen it, I think we deal with this stuff all the time. Actually, Emily and I refer to this clip often in our household, so take a look. <laughs> you have to watch the whole episode. You really do, because I think it's all too true, and it probably hits a little too close to home at times. I know it does in our house. 
Um, but you have to watch the whole episode. It's such a great episode. Uh, but here's the thing. When Jesus arrives at the house that they're going to eat this Passover meal at, nobody is there to greet them. Nobody's there. As expected, they expected someone to wash their feet, but nobody was there to wash their feet. And so in the beginning, nobody does. And Jesus is probably remembering back to this conversation he had with the disciples on their way into Jerusalem, where they're arguing about who is the greatest and who is going to sit in the, in the places of authority when Jesus enters his kingdom. They're wondering what life was going to be like when they had slaves of their own. And they never had to do anything for themselves, but they could just tell and boss other people around. So I want you to notice the contrast here as Jesus begins this conversation about foot washing in John's gospel. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from the Father and was returning to God. Right? Jesus was the authority. He was the power. Rightfully, it was his. And what does he do with it? He gets up from the meal. He takes off his outer clothing. He wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Right? The gross, disgusting, filthy feet. Drying them with a towel and was wrapped around him. Jesus has been given power and privilege and the authority in both heaven and on earth, and look what he does with it, right? This is the most important part of this section, and so if you're following around with your, in your text, I would encourage you to highlight this and star this or do whatever you do with it because you need to remember what this is about. You know, a lot of people think, wow, I can't imagine this is such an exception to God's character, right? The God who is the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, bends low to wash the dis- gross, disgusting feet of humans. I cannot believe what an amazing, marvelous thing that God did as an exception to his character. And if that's how we view God in this passage, I think we're missing the point, right? The point is not to say Jesus washing his disciples' feet and dying on the cross, which is ultimately what this is referring to, is an exception to his character that, wow, you know, the, the, the God of the universe stoops so low, but really this is saying this is exactly how God functions. This is what God does. This is what love does. Jesus washing his disciples' feet is exactly what God does. Dying on a cross is exactly what love does. There is no exception to his character here. Jesus is proving through this foot washing exactly who God is and what God's character is. God is love, and this is exactly what love does. He wasn't bitter, right? He wasn't resentful as he did this. He wasn't like, oh, I can't believe those stupid humans have to come down and do this. That was not how he was interacting, right? It was not his feeling. This is exactly what love does. He saw the needs of humanity, and so he comes and he stoops low to meet those needs. And so do you want to know what God is like? Do you want an image of his character? Look no further than the cross, right? Look no further than Jesus stooping low to wash the disgusting feet of his disciples. God is love, and this is exactly what love does. Love bends its knee, and it doesn't matter how filthy the ground is that the knee touches. Love gives, love sacrifices, love does. Love doesn't say, not I. It's not my turn. I did it already, and I've done, I've done my duty. That's not what love says. Love races to do the tasks that no one else wants to do. Love is quick to relieve the suffering of the children. Love is quick to pick up the child from the pool of filth. Love is quick to carry the load up the stairs. Love bends low and races everyone to accomplish our task first. You see, I think we have this impression of what authority looks like. We have this impression and this idea of what standing on the top would feel like and what it would look like. And we believe that is where the best life is, that, that looking down on everybody else and having everybody else serve us and glorify us is the best life. And we live that way. I think we live that way in our workplaces. We live that way in our marriages. We live that way in our parenting. We live that way in our household. We live that way uh, against our neighbors or towards our neighbors. We live that way towards our extended family. We live that way with everybody. 
The best life is me at the center. The best life is me on top. That is where the best life will be found. And to everybody who feels that way and to everybody who relates that way, Jesus says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am, right? I am the authority. I am at the top. I am at the center. That is my rightful place. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I am the teacher. I am the authority. I am the Lord. And look what I have done. I've not used my power to suppress you. I've used my power to come up underneath you and to lift you up. I have set you an example in doing so. Jesus continues, that you should do for others as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do so. You see, it's the person who had every right to expect that everybody else should come to his aid. The authority, the Lord, the teacher, everybody else should be washing his feet. It was he who laid all that aside to wipe the most vile, gross muck from his friend's feet. And now he says, hey guys, I've set you an example. I did this for you so that you can do this for others. Live as servants. In other words, live as servants. Have that as your mentality always. Do the hard work. Be the first to volunteer for the worst jobs. Be quick to jump up when there is a need. Race to the back. When the baby is crying in the middle of the night, you guys should be fighting not over who's going to get up, but who's going to stay in bed. When there's trash to be taken out, your household should be fighting each other to say, no, no, it's my turn this time. No, I did it last time. You did it last time. No, no, I'm going to do it again. If you're going to fight about anything in your household, fight about who you are going to serve the most. Never say that I'm exempt from that responsibility. That's her job, you know? Like, we, we set up these jobs, and that's her job. I oh, know that's his job, you know? I don't have to do that because that's not my responsibility. See the need, meet the need, and do the need. Now that you know these things, Now that you've seen me do it, do it for others. Do it for one another. And everything you do, don't climb to the top where where your power will be suppressing other people, but climb beneath where your power will be to lift others up. And the word he uses here, blessing, like this will be your blessing, it's it's an odd word in the Greek language, it's makarios. It doesn't mean happy. It means elation. It means a deep-seated joy. It doesn't mean happiness like, you know, like we, we talk about happiness, but happiness really when we talk about it is circumstantial so often. Like I, I'm happy when I get my raise or I'm happy when I get my paycheck or I'm happy when my family comes into town, but when they leave, then I'm sad again, right? I spent all my money and so I'm sad again. He's saying that there is something deeper than that that will ground you. It's a joy that is deeper than all of that. And it's what it means to be human. And so wait, wait, Jesus, you're telling, me, you're telling me that if I were to die to myself and I were to consider myself less and I were to ser- begin serving other people and lifting other people up through my service of them, that I would actually be happy? That I would actually find joy? That I would be content? That I would almost in that find out what it means to be human? And Jesus says, yes, exactly. That's exactly what you'll discover. It seems odd and it seems backwards in our society. In a society that says you will be happiest when you're at the top. In a society that says you will be happiest when you're in the front of the line. Jesus says, flip it all around. You want a deep-seated joy that will sustain you through life? Then my friends, you need to learn to be the least of these. 
you need to learn to serve others. You need to learn to consider yourself less and lift others up through your power. And so my friends, today the challenge is just to try it. Just try it. Op- open your eyes to the needs within your own household and say, you know what, what can I do to serve another person today? I know, you know, that's, that's his responsibility. I know that we've talked about how he usually does that. He's the one who usually takes out the trash, but you know what? I see that the trash needs to be taken out, so I'm just going to do it. See what the response is. I know that my kids made the mess. I know that I didn't do it, you know, but I'm just going to, I'm going to be the one to clean it up. See how you feel. See what the response is. See what happens. All I'm asking you to do is try it. And I promise that if you can gather your household to be equipped with this same challenge this week, or you didn't put dividing lines around whose responsibility it was to do things, but, you know, if there were just needs that you saw that needed to be done, and you just did them, and then your children were like, hey, I just saw that needed to be done, so I did it. Oh my goodness, wouldn't that be like the heavens opening up? And then you said, you know what, yeah, I, I just saw it needed to be done, so I did it. And your, and your husband or your spouse says, yeah, I just saw it needed to be done, so I did it. How peaceful would your household become? How celebratory would your house become? How blessed do you think you would be if you did it? So instead of grumbling that things aren't getting accomplished around the house, what if we took Jesus' example and began to serve each other? Because you know what? Jesus never once said, not I. That was never Jesus' response to anything. He said, you know what? I'll do it. And I'll race you to the back. Let's see who can get there first. And as I've done for you, I've set you an example. Do for others. Don't say not I, right? Never let that be your disposition, but ask yourself, how can I help? What needs to be done? What can I do? How can I accomplish it? My friends, we're going to pick this up right where we left off next week as we continue our series, Love and Other Messy Things. Let me pray for you as we close out our service this morning. Father in heaven, I pray that we might become servants. Because we're learning to be like you, we're learning to trace your example, God, and you have said, this is my example. I've set you an example that you should do for others as I have done for you. And so in the same way that I have bent low, to serve others. And I've laid down my authority, I've laid down my privilege, I've laid down my pride, I've laid down my stubbornness, I've laid it all down, I've set all that aside. That is not coming into the equation. I am simply going to serve where I see a need to serve. And I pray, Father, that this, this promise of being blessed, of being elated, of being filled with joy that will sustain us through any circumstance, Father, I pray that that would be true of us. That when we lay ourselves down, when we die to ourselves and we learn to be a servant of all, that we will discover what it truly means to be human. Thank you for this, Father, and thank you for these people. We pray that all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for being here this week. I appreciate your time. Try it. Not so with you. God bless you all. Have a great week.